Hello and welcome to the Irresistible Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Gould. And today I'm excited to introduce my Chief Communications Officer, Andrew Zaccanino. Andrew will be joining us to introduce our guests and provide insights into their stories. Welcome, Andrew. By the way, the truth is, Andrew does all the work, he finds everybody, he organises it, and I'm the eye candy, just as we know where we fit in. Okay, Andrew, over to you. Well, thank you for that, Larry. I'm happy to be here, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Bodo Hearn. Great, great. So, Bodo, over the last, of course, decade, has been working on this AI project that centers around the idea of collective intelligence. And this concept of collective intelligence is to harness all the available information out there in the world and all the available intelligence to create an accelerated learning environment so we can learn in shorter periods of time than longer, right? It is pretty crazy. (laughs) So unfortunately, uh, along this journey, uh, a life-altering event occurred. So his daughter was diagnosed with a rare form of a polio-like disease, and this unfortunately left her arm paralyzed uh, as a young girl. So... Bodo and his wife went around to all the doctors, everyone they could find, and all they could provide him with was like a few short answers, essentially saying that there are only a few treatments, and what treatments are available are very expensive. So it kind of left him and his family in a really tough place. Wow. But Terrible. As determined as Bodo is, yeah. yeah, he was determined to find a solution. So what yeah. he did was he leveraged his AI to build a brain-controlled exoskeleton for his daughter's arm. Like what does. <laughs> wow. <laughs> exactly. And that's not even the craziest part because he did it within only six months because of the accelerated learning. Gosh. So in the traditional education field, it would have taken almost six yeah. to seven years. Yeah. Oh. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, Bodo, I mean, what I do is I, I give um, Andrew lists of people and to, to contact, to speak to. And actually Bodo worked for me in England and came to America with me, but it's many years since I've I've actually been in touch with him. So uh, I'm really excited to to talk to him today and find out. And his story is both, you know, interesting on a business point of view, but on a, on a, you know, challenging family situation, you know, I can't wait to to hear what he has to say. Exactly. And with that, now you saw the success he had and all the trouble he trials revelations. Yeah. He's taken what he learned through all that. He's applying it to his company now known as Knowledge. Yeah. And he's determined to take this accelerating learning program to the next level and directly target all the inefficiencies in the learning education ah, program. Ah, right. Knowledge. So knowledge, he spells N-O-L-E-J. Yeah. And I do remember him. I don't know if it's right to say, but I th- was dyslexic. I yeah. wonder if he's just—it's he just not a clever thing. Oh, okay. Anyway, it was a bit he, clever, though. Yeah, a little bit clever. Let's looking forward to meeting him. Welcome, Bodo. It's really great to see you. Um, but unlike any other guests before, I've actually worked with you. Worked with you for many years. Yeah. And we worked in yeah. We worked in the UK, and then you then you came. I moved to the USA. The office opened in the USA. I moved out, and you came to the USA. Yeah, that's right. It's so good to speak to you again, Larry. It's great to speak to you again. And I'm over the fact that you resigned and went to work for Google or some smaller other company like that. I, I'm not a bitter person. You know, and I'm, I'm glad to hear, you know, that you enjoyed those jobs and left us after we bought. Anyway, let's move on. 
Okay, before Lorelei, your daughter's illness, you were working on a unique technology. Okay. Yeah. So, so just before we start doing that, how is Lorelei? How is she doing? Lorelei is doing great. So, so we built this brain-controlled exoskeleton, which really we weren't expecting that it would work, but it did. And not only did it work, it allowed her to move her arm, but because she used it so often, it actually helped her regain her motor neurons. And, and now she's at a stage where she's regained about 60% of her strength. Um, her shoulders is still paralyzed, but her arm is, has regained strength. Tell us how it all happened. And... This, this always brings back emotions, but it, so it happened quite, quite, uh, quite quickly. I, I was going to work. Um, she, she was, she's sitting on the couch and she says, dad, you know, my, my arm's sore. Um, and I don't think anything of it. Cause I, like I'm, I'm rushing. I have to get to work. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, she probably slept on it funny. Something like, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I need to go to work. Five hours later, she was in hospital, almost completely paralyzed. Her left side of the face was drooping. She couldn't breathe properly. She couldn't speak. Her arms were paralyzed. Her body was, she couldn't sit up. She couldn't walk. Her legs were paralyzed. And this happened in a span of five, yeah, five or six hours. And at that stage, the doctors were really scared. They didn't know what the hell this was. They put us in, uh, in this, in the isolation ward. Um, it was, yeah, it was super scary. And, um, yeah, just in a matter of hours, it just it just suddenly happened. And how old was she? How was how she old? was she was just about to turn six. She was five at the time. So how did you cope with all that? What 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 happened next? How did it advance? Um, it was yeah, it was the most challenging part of my life. I guess it we we weren't coping, but the the doctors didn't know what they. Uh, what the illness was. Eventually, they they came to a conclusion that it was acute flaccid myelitis, but this is a very rare illness. They didn't know anything about it. And then that's suddenly when dad mode kicked in. And um, I was sitting in bed next to her, um, helping her, her um, eat and stuff. And, and then we started to think, okay, what are the solutions here? Because our doctors are telling us that this is like polio. You no no one walks away from polio. Um, uh, and uh, so we were looking at these solutions and, we found, okay, there's these high profile research labs building these brain controlled exoskeletons. So maybe that's a solution because they, they, these, these folks are building these exoskeletons and they seem to work. So maybe that's a solution. And then, and then we started to get a bit of hope. Can I just uh, ask you, sorry to interject, you keep saying we, who's we? My daughter and I. So at this stage, so my how, daughter, and your daughter is what at this stage, six years? Six years old. Yeah. Yeah. So you were having these conversations with your daughter? We were having these type of conversations wow. with my daughter. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So at that stage, at that stage, she was she was just enjoying eating Jello and watching TV. She didn't really think anything. I mean, she's five. She she thinks that everything's going to be fine. Which and that's also what I was conveying to her um, that don't worry, everything's going to be fine. We're going to fix this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you believe it? Uh, no, because the so I reached out to parents who had had this illness too. Um, out of the hundred or so parents I reached out to, only two of them had successful, had any significant recovery. Right. So only two had uh, had come off respirators, for example. All the other kids were still on respirators. They still had paralyzed limbs. They still couldn't, couldn't breathe properly. Um, and so the expectation was like, uh, like 
that's that was the expectation expectation wow wow terrible so i, th- I think from my ma- memory at that time you were working you term on this unique technology and um, yes. you you did sort of tell me about it but i don't think i quite understood it <laughs> do a larry sort of version of explaining Talk, tell okay. us what you're at that stage and we'll then see if it has any connection. What was that? Because I know you were very excited about it, but I didn't know what you were really talking I, about. I was really excited about it. So, so a bit of backstory. When I grew up, and I grew up in, in Southern Africa, but when I, was, when I grew up, I, I really disliked schools. Um, the teachers kept telling me that I was stupid, that I wouldn't amount to much because I couldn't read properly. I couldn't spell properly. I, I had severe dyslexia, but that wasn't diagnosed until I was late, later on in life. Um, but I came, I came out of high school. I didn't want anything to do with schooling. I left home when I was 18, but I started to work on projects. I, I really loved being an entrepreneur. I started working on these, on these different businesses. What what sort what what sort of different businesses? What, what businesses? The the first the first business I worked on was to process Australian visas for the uh, Australian High Commission. The Australia yeah, the Australian High Commission they had outsourced uh, their visa processing to to external third parties, and I started working on that. Is that um, through the company that they outsourced it to? This was initially through the company that they outsourced it to, and then I started my own business to do the same. Wow. And how old were you then? I was, this was 19. I was about 19, yeah. So where did you gain experience with somebody who wasn't a great reader and great scholar at school? How did you get there? You know, for, Well, I think... It, that's and quite this, technical. <laughs> it does, yeah, and, and this this ties into to me being, uh, kept being told that I, I'm stupid, that... In hindsight, I think it gave me a superpower because whenever I got into a room, I immediately assumed that I was never the smartest person in the room, that I always needed to ask questions and clarifying questions. I never assumed that I that I knew what was going on. So in that sense, it gave me a superpower because uh, it allowed me to ask people questions. And, and that's when I started to realize, well, actually, you know what? Collective intelligence is, is a really powerful mechanism. Um, you know, I, I could easily be outcompeted by a smart person, but just give me two ordinary people and we can outcompete a smart person. Wow. And, and, and so there really, that's, that's the, the start of how I started to build businesses because I didn't, know, I didn't know how to do anything. Um, and so I had to ask smart people questions. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a very interesting point you're making because I, I can really relate to that. <clears throat> and I think that what actually happened, I left school at 15 years old. Wow. Uh, yeah. And it was a big shock. It was like, you know, people where I lived didn't do that, you know, unless you were pregnant. And I wasn't at that, <laughs> that time. And But because I didn't understand things, you either had to really, really suffer or you had to keep asking questions. Yeah. And yeah. Um, we're very proud of the phenomenal people we have on these podcasts who, in the majority of cases, you know, have been people with very, very wonderful, fantastic uh, degrees and PhDs and, and whatever. But the business side is where they kind of struggle on a lot because they're so used to being successful in an academic level that that actually gives them a confidence which they should enjoy. But at the same time, on the commercial level, they they seem to struggle. And that's interesting for us to to really examine that and think about that that, that today. That was... 
that was the realization I had was that collective intelligence really is a good mechanism by which to rapidly accelerate my own learning, but also putting into practice what needs to be done. Um, instead of spending hours, hours reading books, it, sometimes it's sim- simpler to ask the questions. And then at that stage, um, luckily f- for me, audiobooks came out. So I was able to, to really um, um, leverage those, which was really a blessing to, to yeah, come Yeah, and again, we don't think about that, the audiobooks. You yeah, know, yeah. Yeah, really Suddenly, cured dyslexia in a kind of a way. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think uh, that people that people who have dyslexia, by the way, you're listening, you know, maybe maybe this is a really good point. Just don't worry, because you know, so many books are audio and that could be a really good hint for our audience that, you know, because people are saying, Well, I hate reading. Well, I sometimes hate reading because I can't read very well. So yeah. can you use audio to overcome that problem? That's that's very important interesting. Yeah, I I, I don't want to necessarily plug uh, audible.com but wow (laughs) (laughs) it changed my life okay okay so here you are that we've started your first business you start your business or did you actually get a job working for somebody who had a business i initially got a job for the organization that was processing australian visas and and then i initially that's when i also started my first business Um, i decided well this looks pretty good I know the processes that needs to be done. Can I start this business on my own? And and that was my first attempt at starting a business. Right. So and, so tell us about that story, that that journey. Tell us about that journey. That was that was a scary journey. Um, we didn't have much money. I put in absolutely everything on this idea that I could start this business. Um, we sorry we, again uh, to interject. We didn't. Who's we? We, my wife and I. So this was okay. just after we got married. Um, my wife and I decided, well, let's let's try this business. I had worked on a telephone interpreting, sorry, not a telephone interpreting, a telephone uh, IVR system um, that could plug into the Australian High Commission's database and allow me to do the processing a lot quicker wow. than what the incumbents were doing. Wow, um, my goodness. So, so I, I pitched this to the Australian High Commission. They were really excited. I got a small, um, a, a small chance to, to prove myself right. Oh, wait, and, wait, can I just go yeah, back? Yeah. You've just said the words that terrify most entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs. I pitched this too. So that's yeah. a big deal. First of all, how did you get to get invited or allowed to pitch uh, and where, how did it tell us about that? Because, you know, you yeah. made it sound so, oh, you know, oh, I've decided I'm going to pitch that. Let me go there. It doesn't really happen that often, unless it did no. or whatever. So, no, absolutely not. You, and I you, was petrified. Yeah, good. So petrified. But, okay. But not paralyzed. But not paralyzed. No, I was, I was really, really petrified. The, uh, but over the, over the time that I'd worked with the Australian High Commission, I'd generate a, a really strong relationship with many of the top people at the at the high commission um how and come? Was, how did you do that i mean you're young and you're you know 
it was it was due to the quality quality of work that I was presenting to the Australian High Commission while I was working for the third party. Right. Uh, so the High Commission, this was a new process for them. They were used to these third parties providing subpar applications for, yeah. for visas. Yeah. And and here I come and I do things really quickly, really efficiently. I all the applications are 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 really well structured. Right. And it's through this that I got a really good relationship. But then of course the good relationship you got an opportunity. But the very yeah. fact that they yeah. actually found you impressive. And I was nineteen at the stage. I I didn't have any qualifications behind me. Um and I was petrified and I was stumbling while I was pitching and, but they still gave me a chance, which was, which was amazing. So again, we, we, what we're trying to, what I'm trying to look at with you is that I'm trying to, that people who are petrified, people who didn't have the highest level of formal education, people who are really nervous like that. It, it really knocks their confidence, but there's kind of uh, something yeah. in you that, that, that sort of was maybe just being used to, not doing very well or suffering, and that, that people don't go forward. You, what do you think about that? I mean, is that a, a, a valid point that I'm making? It is. I think. I think the the fear of the fear of failure is is so potent. It 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 would discourage almost everyone. I I would think. Um, yeah. Except set people like us who have. Serial failures and <laughs> <but> survived. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, tell us about the, the business. The business has a very interesting name. It has an interesting spelling. Was was that the business? Knowledge. Okay. Spell. Okay. Knowledge. Yeah. Spell N O L E J. If you want to look it up and look online, knowledge. So, knowledge. Um, is that the the business that you started then? Is that because you were dyslexic? It's it's like no. like that. <laughs> yeah. So so knowledge is now. I mean, this is now ten years later. Yes. This is well even even more. So knowledge is the most recent company I've started together with two other co- well three other co-founders. Um, we started knowledge about two years ago now. Yeah. Um, but before I go there, quickly, can I can I just quickly highlight what happened between then? Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, please do, please do, please do. So. So um, the Australian High Commission job suddenly failed because I didn't cross the T's and dot the I's. Okay. Um, this is something that, that um, yeah, really, really came out of left field. And, this, and it's probably uh, a highlight of, of me being naive and inexperienced. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of those circumstances. And we lost everything. My wife and I lost everything. So we wow. put everything into the company. We lost everything. The only thing we had left was a car. We sold the car. We bought two plane tickets and we moved to London. And that's when, um, that's when we, we joined. Um, I think a year later, we joined the big word. We nice. joined you. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that that happened to you. <laughs> no, not really. Glad. <laughs> so, how, so tell us about, about your wife, tell us that because we keep hearing we is she, is she a pivot? Is she really, really somebody the power yeah. behind the throne or next to the throne? Or yeah, my wife, my wife Heather is really the the. Let's give her a rock. call out. Yes, 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 yes. She's she's been the rock. She's always been up for for any adventure. Um, she's really been super supportive. Right. Amazing lady. Okay, so that that's. I think we all need somebody, don't we? Who, you know, wife, grandmother, yeah. or what? A friend. So you arrive in London, okay? 
with with that and and how did you live i mean you, you lost most of your money lost and, most and, of our money yeah. we had i think 300 pounds we had accommodation for the first three four weeks and luckily i got a job um that uh we lost we we ran out of money the day i got my first paycheck wow um, and what was that job um i was working for the probation department as a temporary office manager so what was your role there then what, what did I, you do then um i just grabbed any role i could i i was in an office manager role right um okay. and that was that was for three months and allowed me to to really get my foot in the door get acquainted uh, get get acquainted with with london and go look for something real to do yeah. and that's when you came to the big word yeah um, a short while later, yep. Good. Um, so then, coming back to to now leaving the big word, uh, I wanted to quickly share with you what I was doing and why uh, I was working on collective intelligence when my daughter was was sick. Right. So good. Um, after after leaving after leaving you at the at the big word, um, I started to to be a consultant. I worked at, at various organizations, but at the same time, I started a nonprofit called Defrex, and I would use this nonprofit to work on really audacious projects that were aligned with things that really interested me. And one of the projects was to try and figure out how we can teach the 250 million children who don't have access to schools and the 600 million who may have access to schools, but they're sitting in classrooms with 60 to 90 other kids. So the, the idea was, can we build a solution that taps into collective intelligence of these children and their networks around them and allows them to, to take a lot of that, that learning on top of them uh, in their own hands to, to help them yeah. teach each other and teach, um, teach, uh, one another. Um, that's where the, the project started. And we started to do experiments all around the world, mainly in East Africa and India, but then also in non-traditional learning spaces like maker spaces and homeschooling environments. And then later on also in K-12 environments. And right. I through, yeah. okay. can I, can I just sort of verify a yeah. not for profit? That means it doesn't mean you don't need money. How was that financed? Yeah, we initially wanted to do wanted to set up a B Corp, which was a, a benefit corp, which is kind of a mixture between non-profit and for-profit. But to get that B Corp would have required us to go through numerous different hoops. And a, a, just setting up a non-profit was just a lot quicker and easier at that time. Um, and, then, and then we just stuck with that. We did spin up a few projects that were for-profit. Um, but we set up that we set up those as as separate projects. So that's um, a really that's a fascinating uh, concept that you did there. Not for profit, and uh, not for profit, it doesn't mean that somebody who started it and working it doesn't get a pay as long as that pay is a right, reasonable yeah. a reasonable level. You can't take a you know it has to be a pay that if it was for profit you know it would be as high as that. But so that's I think it's very important for people to listen. But it is a stepping stone. It is a stepping stone. For, first of all, it's just wonderful things because you know you're, you're, the money is all going into, into the actual company. Instead yep. of profit, you know, profits for you to enjoy outside beyond your living wages, uh, and I do know that. But then, what you did from doing that not for profit that was a really good deed as well. You actually then had an opportunity to get another experience. Am I right? And that led you to be able to spin off. Could you talk about that spinning off or expanding it or 
How does that work? Yeah. So, so running these different experiments, we figured out that this concept could actually work. And so one of the spin-offs we did was I joined uh, a, a Japanese conglomerate of universities and we were going to use what I'd worked on to try and build a for-profit model, a for-profit business around these concepts. And I managed to raise about $5 million in budget that we could apply to this project over the course of two to three years. So I mean, again, five million for, for our listeners, $5 million yeah. in budget. Yes. To, to explain that in budget. In, so, so they allocated $5 million to this project over the course of three years, which would allow us to get to profitability without needing to worry about runway. Um, they, would, they would allocate the $5 million to us up front, uh, which allowed us not to need to worry about fundraising. And we could focus on building the product, making sure it works, making sure we, yeah. we, we deliver something that's, that's usable. So I just want to just come and change it a little bit because when you say we raise this and we raise that, you know, my experience of you is a real good communicator, an excellent communicator and a really an excellent, brilliant mind. But I mean, it's the raising of the money, $5 million. And how long ago is that? This was in 2018 when... Okay, so it's, it's, it's a few years ago. You raised five... And they allocated that money is, stay, is allocated. You know, how how did you do that? What, you know, this, this is our relatively, you know, yeah. modest and, and also, you know, quiet person. Be so, you know, what, what was it? that? What did you say? How did you do it? Help share it with people. Yeah, at the moment... When I was pitching this to two different schools, this was also about a year after we had the success with my daughter. Um, and so I was also on various stages. My daughter was invited to various medical conferences. And it was through those medical conferences that I was introduced to these schools. Okay, so then um, I think we need to go back to that. Because I think okay. it's very I I important. So... Before the, before your daughter's illness, before Lorelai's illness, you were working on a unique, unique technology. And then this, in actual fact, happened. Take us back to, we're, we're in the living room with you and, you, and your okay. wife. You're in the living room with your wife and you're going through this dreadful, dreadful time. This le really lovely six-year-old child who yeah. ne never, you know, move, never, you know, have any movement, never just lift a, a drink. Tell us... This, the what the, the journey is, what evolved, you know, that allowed you to, to get to where you were in the stage that we've just mentioned. So we were, we were in hospital and the doctors were telling us that, yeah, the only real hope is occupational therapy and physiotherapy to, to rehabilitate my daughter. But we also had conversations with a hundred or so other parents who had significant, um, uh, who, who had the same illness with their children who hadn't had any significant improvement, right? So on the one hand, we were hearing the doctor saying, no worry, everything's going to be fine. But the reality was that it wasn't going to be fine. And so we were, we were stuck in that situation. Um, we had researched that there was this, this available technology called um, brain-controlled exoskeletons, which could pick up signals from the brain 
it can convert those signals to electrical signals that could be controlled by the exoskeleton. Yeah. So it would bypass the damaged circuits of this of the spinal cord. And over many months of usage, that could actually rehabilitate the damaged motor neurons. So we saw this on, um, on, uh, uh, on various blog posts. We reached out to these research labs, but they weren't able to share what they were doing with us. They were building these projects within silos, within closed walls. But we knew that it was possible, right? So we knew it was possible. Plus, I have a background in collective intelligence. How, how did you know it was possible? Why did you because, say you knew because they they were they had um, research projects which showed that paralyzed individuals were using this over several months, and they were starting to get uh, feelings back in their in their limbs. They were starting to be, get movement back in their wow. limbs. So we knew it was possible. Two, I had a background in collective intelligence, and three, I I I always assumed that. I was never the smartest person in the room, so I was really comfortable asking people for advice. You know, what can we do here? What can we do there? And and over this over the last couple of years, I had built this project to help l- learners across, across the world to rapidly accelerate their learning. So, right, so the- can, can, I, can I just sort of let, let's yeah. sort of really make this very very clear? So the very fact that your great great talent is asking questions. Okay, and right. talking to people and listening, of course, to what they're saying and thinking about it. But how did you reach out? I mean, I know it seems obvious to you, but again, yeah. people, you know, listening want to know, well, okay, I asked, I asked, you said, and mm-hmm. it, make it sound so easy, I asked. But how did you ask? How did you communicate with them? So we broke up the project into bite-sized components. Then for each component we knew we needed to solve problems for, we recorded a quick video. Or maybe a blog post. We said, "Hey, we want to we want to know how to three D print this. How can you help us?" And we tell them a bit of the story, saying, "This is what is needed. This is what we needed for. This is what we're doing." And we posted that on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook. On at, at that time, Google Plus was a big network as well. Right. Um, right. And and then we followed up. Now, luckily, I did already have a reasonable network uh, of people all around the world because of my work within education and dif- different institutions, that we, we had a reasonable enough network that I could tap into. But it was, for every question we had, we recorded some type of blog post or video. My daughter joined me on the videos. We asked people questions. And then really over, over, the, over the next several days, people started to say, hey, you know what, you should speak to this person or here's a blog post that, that's interesting or here's something oh, else. Yeah. Uh, and then it snowballs from there. So, so you are a mega asker. Absolutely, yes. I, uh, it's, uh, by it's, the way, I'm coining it. it's Larry Gould, Larry J. Gould, <laughs> and I've called, I, I've well, a mega asker. But you yeah. know, I, we work with so many. I meet so many um, startups and entrepreneurs, and and you don't have to be a startup and entrepreneur. You can be working in the company, and you don't dare ask. And this, your, your ability to ask quite, and look for where the people are using social media, you know, I mean, uh, which you obviously didn't find difficult. People do find it. But yes. social media, that's had a great influence, hasn't it, on your work? And it's, it's, it's such a huge platform where we could ask these questions. And, and one, one important point was I didn't just ask one person. I asked several different people. And often... Several people have several different opinions. Often they're competing as well. 
Um, and and so it's it's always trying to figure out okay these these different opinions are competing with one another which is which is the most accurate for us um, so that requires some discernment and I have a quick story about that go uh, on, tell us it. please tell us the story so we needed to figure out how we can convert brain signals into electrical signals we can we can utilize for the exoskeleton um, you would think that the the people we should reach out to are probably neuroscientists neurologists who understand yes, I would think so. Uh, and and that's that, that was the first pe- first people we reached out to. Uh, it was our n- neurologist as well as a few others. However, their advice to us, and we spent several hours with them, um, and their advice to us over these several hours is, yeah, it's really difficult. I don't think you should do this. This is probably not going to work. Well, actually, you know, this is this is definitely not going to work. You should focus on occupational therapy and physiotherapy. Right. That was their advice. Um, we asked the same. Well, so so who else is good at signal processing? Uh, the the folks at Google DeepMind are good at signal processing. The folks at CERN Research Lab in Switzerland are good yeah. at signal processing. That we we also reached out to them, asking them the same question. What was brilliant about those two groups is they never knew that what we were trying to do was impossible, right? So they they never had the 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 idea that what we were trying to do was impossible. And so within just several minutes, the folks at CERN gave us the advice that eventually helped us solve this particular problem. Um, so so you, you're asking questions, but you're not sometimes giving away too much information because that ask giving too much information can actually yeah. stop, can paralyze them because they're already looking at the, a bigger picture that they don't believe can be achieved. So that's quite, that's quite a challenge. So... Let's talk about money. Do you mind about talking about money? I like to talk about money. So all this is amazing, you know, and very hopefully useful, you know, for uh, our community people listening. But one of the biggest, one of the biggest problems or the biggest challenge is money, collecting, raising money. Uh, And so it's a critical part of any venture. So could you share with us some hints and suggestions and difficulties that you that on the subject of funding generally and where are you with funding yourselves at the moment? So that's a few questions in one. So over to you now. So so let me let me use this opportunity to describe our current company yes. and how we are fundraising for it. So knowledge uh, that's N O L E J spelled really weirdly because <laughs> I'm <laughs> dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> but knowledge is knowledge is an exciting product uh, project and and company. What currently the market spends about fifteen thousand dollars to generate one hour of interactive e learning content. What our product does is it allows anyone to generate that e learning content in a matter of minutes for the cost of a happy meal. Right. This is this is a rapid improvement on the the production of e-learning content. Um, we are a a company that is leveraging the the um, a whole bunch of new technologies that we've developed over the last two yeah. years, including large language models like ChatGPT and and various other large language models. Um, so, from a fundraising perspective, we initially started to to raise a seed round from the basis of having this really cool technology. But 
there wasn't sufficient evidence that what we were building was going to be successful. Which is a so huge, a huge yeah. problem. Yeah. So, so we needed to start to generate money really quickly. Yeah. And so from day one, we decided, well, we're going to charge people for testing our product. We're going to run pilots and we're going to charge people for testing our product right from get go. Um, and we were successful in that. So, so I need to understand that a bit better. Yep. You're going to charge people for testing your, your, their products, your products? What, what? Our product. Your the product. product we were building, yeah. So you're going to charge them for testing it. Why would they that's want to right. pay to test somebody else's product? Why would they do that? that? That's a really, yeah, really good question. And, and, the, and the reason why is because we were offering them such a great value proposition. We, we reached out to companies that were already committed to developing course content for their companies. And this is primarily in France. We're working with a bunch of French companies. Um, and they're already committed to generating course content through traditional processes like hiring instructional designers and going through yeah. through the, the authoring tools and developing these all manually. So, so and, just let me ask you one question. You know, we, we call this the irresistible yeah uh, podcast irresistible in the english dictionary i remind people who have forgotten it means too tempting and too attractive to resist so what was your what was the irresistible phrase or irresistible cell you know because i i understand you did it but what did you say that was irresistible to people we, to pay yeah, we... you for testing your product mm-hmm uh, and I think, I mean, you're, you're saying it's because it would be so much better for them if it works. That That is, is you know, obviously true. But how do people believe that? Because, you know, uh, we work with a lot of different organizations that, that are trying to get that and they're not having the success that you had. So help yeah. us help them. How did you do it? We We had... The, the pitch we provided them was this is going to this is going to be this is going to 10x your productivity and reduce your co- your cost by 10x uh, and we can prove this by you providing us a sample document and we will auto convert it using our technology into bite-sized e-learning material and we'll do this in a matter of hours at that time um, now we can do it in a matter of minutes but we'll do this in a matter of hours and we'll show you the results is this suitable value for you to commit to a $15,000, $25,000 pilot that we can test with your organization who in any case needs to build these huge number of courses. Can we do this as a test? We will prove that it works, provide us some sample documents, we'll prove that it works and we can do it. And then let's 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 do a pilot of of reasonable size and and let's push your content through. And and then we we provided the additional uh, the additional carrot, saying, if you come on board, we can help and develop our product to suit your particular needs. You will be part of the driver's seats to design the project, making sure that it works to to your needs. Well, I think people who are listening to the podcast. If you don't listen to anything else of this podcast and just rewound the last two minutes, I think that that probably is the most amazing. And, and again, we're involved and we see um, and hear different people's presentations. And first of all, they don't demonstrate that confidence about outcomes. 
what the outcome could really mean to them. Uh, and so what, what's the, the unique, unique selling point? But what is that absolute special outcome that can help them make money, be successful themselves? And you've done that so well. So even if you don't listen to much of it, look where you are on the, on the podcast at the moment, rewind it and keep listening to it. And then work, try and work out how you're going to do it yourselves. But that is absolutely, you know, um, wonderful. On the same level, same subject, what would you say? I mean, investors do pose very challenging questions. Uh, and it would yep. be helpful yep. if you could share with us some of those tough questions and how you face them and how did you handle them? Yeah, some of the most challenging questions, especially early on when we were starting to raise money was, okay, how are you going to make money from this? How are you going to make make sure it's sustainable? Who are your customers? What is your go-to market strategy? How do you make sure that that um, yeah, that this will be sustainable? Because at that time, we really didn't know who our primary customers would be. Yeah. Uh, we were we were playing around the, with the idea that maybe this is a tool that teachers could use directly. Maybe this is a tool that maybe only instructional designers would use. Right. Maybe this is a tool for companies directly. Maybe this is a tool for, for publishers, or maybe this is a tool that we could inter integrate with existing platforms. Right. So we really didn't have a good answer. And so it was really difficult for us to, to provide a suitable answer to this type of question until we had gathered the data that was necessary. I think it was, um, we initially just tried to try to, bluff our way through saying, you know, we're confident that this is going to work. You know, this, the, you know, the, 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 the product like growth route is going to work. This is how we're going to do it. And this is going to work. We, we, we super confident on that, but investors are really smart. Well, most, most of them are. Um, and, and they can see through that too. Um, there, there's, there's this fake it until you make it, but you, you know, the, they can see through that pretty easily too. So they saw through that type of answer from us before we had the data to to validate and prove that. So we really needed to wait till the data came through. So the data, I mean, I think yeah. this is the magic word that you're talking about. And that's what people sigh of data, you know, we're overwhelmed with the talk of data. But really, again, Remember what this podcast about is about. It is about helping people outside. When you said until this data came through, tell us the process. How is that? Is that access to that data and data that can you can believe in that mm -hmm. that becomes is was a very powerful part of your your process. Can you give some sort of um, suggestions about the approach for data? I mean, I know it's a heck of a big yeah. question. So, so this related to the question that was posed by the investors, like, what is your go-to-market strategy? How are you going to make sure that this is sustainable? We didn't have a good answer to that because we didn't really know who our customers are. So how can we, how can we test who our customers are? The way we test that is to ask them to pay for the, for the product and ask them to test the product, ask them to use the product, and then to, to tell us whether or not they would pay for this. So we set right. up this, this beta uh, trial where we had uh, gathered uh, leads from various folks, uh, various organizations around the world, various groups of, of people all around the world. Sorry to interject. What does 
gathered me. That sounds like you just picked them off the table. I mean, gathering that is. Uh, can you just just? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Explain so, that a bit. So we gathered we gathered the list of leads by presenting different forms um, to to folks, asking them to join the beta. So we had this little demo video, and we said, "Hey, do you want to take part of this in this demo video? Sign up here to join the waitlist." We created a a post like this for teachers. We created a similar post that we would send directly through LinkedIn to uh, um, decision makers at various companies. We sent this, uh, a different form to publishers, to 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 tech companies. And yep. So w- why did your knowledge come to do that? Because it, it sounds like easy when you're saying it, but actually creating different um, different messages for different people is really quite hard. I mean, who did that? How did it happen? You know, help it's, us. Yeah, it's, well, it came from the realization that we're going to need to figure out who our primary customer is. We we did a quick guess, like who do we, from a gut feeling perspective, who do we think the customers would be? Um, we, we wrote those out and then we asked other people, what are their, what are their opinions? And we came up with a list of five, five um, personas, five different groups of people. Um, so that's how we came, came up with the list. Again, was asking questions. Right. We asked the team members questions, and then we asked external folks questions. But this right. doesn't need to take a long time. We did this in a, in a matter of, of a few um, of a few hours over over the course of a few days, and then it was a matter of okay, now we understand who the five personas are. How should we reach out to them? And then we decided, well, teachers are going to be mostly present on Facebook, so let's put a Facebook post there, and then. Um, EdTech CEOs are going to be on LinkedIn. Sorry, can I, can, can I just again ask it because yeah. you're saying lots of great things, but one of the things I've been thinking, well, well, he's saying, oh, we could post on that, we could do that. I mean, how big's your team? I mean, who, who does all this thing? Because we haven't really talked. I mean, because, you know, I've worked with you and I know from the past that you are brilliant, but you, but it's very hard to be brilliant just alone and i know you're yeah, yeah, a yeah. good team builder or were in the past you know um so so who was we i, I keep asking the we because mm. because it's it's to sort of again illustrate to people that it's very hard to build a successful business as uh, on your own so yeah, who's the we people the team people yeah, so the we includes three other co-founders um two of which had exits from ai companies um, so they understood the AI market. They understood go-to-market strategies, especially with regards to AI companies. Um, third co-founder is um, she, she used to be the, a cognitive scientist at Facebook and at HP. She understands the the um, the learning and development learning and development market. She understands product really well. She understands um, cognitive psychology and 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 user interfaces really well. And so it's a, it's a really diverse team, both complementary skill sets. Okay, so I want to touch on one point that, that troubles and and stresses a, lo- a lot of established companies as well as startups, and that, that's the the recruiting, the recruitment. You know, we are three. You know, you walk past the shop. Oh, there were three founders in the window. I love those three. Mm-hmm. You know, wrap them up. That's really hard because you. So, could you sort of just give us some some uh, insights, suggestions, and advice? Where did you find them? How did you do that? What 
how did you get this team together? Because I think you'll agree that it's not just you alone. It's you have a team. Is that right? Or that's right. Yeah, we have a team, and it's important that you know your your co-founders really well because it's like a marriage. Um, you're going to be you're going to be married to each other for for the foreseeable future. Um, the way that the way that I did it was. Um, this was shortly after landing the deal with the with the Japanese university, raising the five million dollars. We get this, I was super excited, and then suddenly COVID hit, and they went almost bankrupt, and we lost the project. We lost everything. At that stage, super frustrated, but I knew that what we were working on could work. So how do we how do I quickly start up a new company around this? How do we how do I do that from scratch? Um, I. I recorded a few videos. I recorded a few blog posts. I did a few podcasts where I asked the question saying, hey, this is what I'm building. This is what I've got. This is what I need. Wow. This, is, this is where we're going. Is there anyone interested? Turns out that these three co-founders, who I know really well from previous, I, we, I just never clicked and, and made the connection. They were working on a similar project, but which was totally complementary to mine. And then we, they, they found the blog post, and then, and then suddenly uh, everything clicked, and we said, you know what, let's, let's do this together. And that's how we joined and we started Knowledge. Right. So again, I mean, we're getting to the end of, of, of our time, unfortunately. Um, again, I think you'll agree that the, the very, very big word today is the ask, isn't it? Asking yeah. and listening and especially asking. Okay, so what is happening next? What's next? So exciting news. Um, it's It's that we have secured our lead investor for knowledge. We are raising a, a seed round. Um, right. We have got a lead investor. We have a huge... Do you want to give their uh, name or is it just still uh, give them uh, a shout I can't out? Give them, yeah, I can't give them a name just yet. Okay. It's, it's all being announced in September right. um, at, a, at a huge event, but it's exciting. Um, what, what will it mean? Why is it exciting? I mean, obviously, happy. it's exciting to have the money, but what's going to happen you know, when that check goes into the bank, what's going to happen? Different. It's, it's, it suddenly allows us to execute on a really aggressive go-to-market strategy, which isn't possible at the moment. At the moment, we are relying on uh, revenue being generated, which is, which is funding uh, our growth. But cash flow, especially for a startup, is really difficult. And so with this boost of capital, it'll allow us to really accelerate our growth plans without needing to worry about cash flow and where tomorrow's paychecks will come from. Right. That, that, that's brilliant. One of the, the questions that I ask people, um, and they get really, really uncomfortable about it, when I say, what's your go-to-market strategy? And they really, really do struggle with, with a go-to-market strategy. So again, for the people in our community listening to mm -hmm. us, you know, what's the hints and advice you can give about when somebody asks you about what, well, first of all, you need it. What is it? <laughs> and yeah. how do you get yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. And our go-to-market strategy initially, what we assumed would be our go-to-market strategy is not because um, of the data that we collected. 
we 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 collect the data to to verify who are the most likely customers. Once you know who your most likely customers are going to be and how what price point they would they would like to purchase your product at, that's when you can start to 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 identify what your go to market strategy. How can you approach those people? Um, in our case, we are. Um, we have experimented with with a number of different strategies, and we've come up with with a with a plan which not only works, but we've data now to prove that it works. Right. To prove yeah. that we can acquire a new customer at a lower cost that we would invest in acquiring that customer, which is obviously super important. Yeah. Um, so your CAC needs to be reasonable. Your cost of acquisition for a, for a customer needs to be pretty reasonable um, in order for your go-to-market strategy to work. Yeah, I don't even think people think about the you know, cost of acquisition of customers very much. So so we are, I could just stay here all day and, and speak to you. You know, it's absolutely brilliant. And it is brilliant because I kind of knew that you'd come from, you know, where you come from and to sort of see where you are now is just something brilliant. And, you know, I made a bit of a joke about you leaving, but we were devastated when you left the big yeah. word, although we, we you know, got other versions of you, but you were just yep. so brilliant. And But the, the, the greatest thing I'd like to know about the most important thing is about Lorelai. How is she? How how have the family been together? And you and you also have a son, Lebin, who's 10, and I think yeah. Lorelai is 12. How is he in all this? How has the family dealt with all these pressures? And, you know, kids do feel it as well. You know, how are they all? Yeah, they're, they're doing really good. What this allowed us is to come together as a family. During this time, um, we wouldn't do homework together. We'd all come throw our school bags to one side. We'd all work on this project together as a family. My son even got involved, and he was, he was I think, four at that time. How could so he, he was, a four-year-old get involved? <laughs> he was, so he did the, the, the cool old job of, of putting the, the, the wires in the right slots. Yeah. And, and he would test the, the exoskeleton. Oh, and, my goodness. You're making me feel so inadequate. Go on. <laughs> and, I'm and such then, a failure. So <laughs> Go on. Sorry. But, but then what, what, was, what would happen was then you know people wanted to hear the story. So we got invited all around the world to speak at conferences. And my wow. daughter got invited to, to, to speak on stage on, on, uh, on Rhone 2. Uh, we met, we met, to presidents, for example, um, we yeah, which we, presidents we did you mean? Which presidents? The, the, the Portuguese president. I can't recall his name, unfortunately. Slip my um, memory as well. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the other one? Um, it was it was both the the current and former Portuguese Portuguese right, okay, presidents. Okay, that is amazing. So I I am just gobsmacked. I've loved loved our session and. Please, please come back again. And I hope the people out there will really listen and think about it. And if you've got any questions to ask, and please let us know. And really what is happening on some of the podcasts we're doing, and, and I'm, could happen to you, is that people contact us and say, I'm really interested. Is there any chance that I could invest in that company? So I'll ask you that question now. I mean, can is it all closed now at the moment? Or could people contact you? if they wanted to invest in knowledge? The seed round will be open for another three weeks. Okay, um, three weeks. After which our Series A is due to be launched early in 2024. 
Right, so we'll keep a record and we, we put out a newsletter every, every, uh, every other week and we'll put that information in. Bodo, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of you. You're the most one of the special entrepreneurs, dads, you know, I'm positively disliking you after others. <laughs> yeah. you. you know, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being with us and um, looking forward to, to, to seeing how you develop and who knows, investing with you. Have a, awesome, uh, Larry. Yeah. So, you're an awesome host and an awesome boss too. Oh, thank you. So look, well, then why did it? No, never mind about that. I'm over that. <laughs> My therapist has helped. I'm, I'm okay. So we're, we're going to have you back in the near, to, near future, I hope. Have a great, great, great journey and look forward to seeing you very, very soon. Thank you very much and bye to everybody and look forward to hearing more and more all the time. Have a great day. So, Larry, any takeaways from today's episode? So many takeaways. Oh, my goodness. But there were a few things that really, in fact, you know, just trying to claim the, 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 the expression of mega ask. Um, Bodo is brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. You hear how brilliant he was. Yeah. But as he said at the beginning, you know, the problem was that he was dyslexic and things were difficult, but he did ask people. And I can kind of relate that myself, that academically at the schools, it, it, I was terrible. But one of the things I did, because I was so used to being criticised, I kind of got used to it. So when I went to into the workplace, I had to ask to get confirmation to survive. Yeah. And I think that that you know, really, really helped me. But the mega ask, so what I'm seeing is that some of the brilliant people that we're actually working with on startups with fantastic products, services, science, technology, I don't think they're great at asking potential customers what they need or what they could do for them. So one of my great takeaways is the ask. The other takeaway is just his tenacity um, that he has. He obviously has a great family. His wife, I know, is a, a great support to him. But when he talks and when he was talking about his children and including his little five-year-olds and putting things together. Yeah, it's that pretty was crazy. He, he is one of the most amazing people that I've met. And it's a long time since I've seen him, so it was great to reacquaint. And, you know, tempting to think about investing, well, you know, sounds like a it's got some, you know, start for his investment. Yeah, so that's really the question lies, Larry. Would you invest? I'm itching. You're itching? Yeah, I don't know if I did it on screen. I said, can I invest? And he said, not You're yet. You're itching, yeah. it. You know, not that itching. <laughs> no, yeah, itching. Okay. Go, go, go and do some more work. Okay, right, that sounds right. about right. Bye. All right, thank you, bye. everyone. Okay, bye. For more on me, Larry J. Gould, and the show, check out our website, our irresistible newsletter, and follow us on social media. 